the school is out. Which means it's time for Hi Kids. Good afternoon and welcome to the Hi Kids show. Thank you for choosing 101.9 Hi FM. This is Hi Kids, for kids, for kids. My name is Bria Katz and I'm your host for today. Coming up on Hi Kids today, I will be interviewing Rabbi Moshe Silberhaft. He is a traveling rabbi. So just stay tuned to 101.9 Hi FM to find out more about what he does. You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 Hi FM. This is Hi Kids for Kids by Kids. My name is Bria Katz and I'm 12 years old. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. It's so exciting to have you in studio t- today with me. And can you tell me a little about, bit about what you do? Before I tell you what I do, here's another general knowledge question, and it's a challenge. Whoever comes up with the right answer can have an autographed copy of my book. How many official languages are spoken in Zambia? Let's see if anybody can come up with that. Are they allowed to look on the Internet? Uh, shouldn't, but uh, let, let's try first without that, and then we'll see. Wow, it's quite a thing to be able to know that, hey? You probably travel if you know those kind of things. I do, Absolutely. Um, okay, so my que- your question, what do I do? Um, I work for the Jewish Board of Deputies, and I work as the country community's rabbi, or I've, I've become known as the traveling rabbi. Basically, what's happened is that um, when Jews came to South Africa many years ago, they established themselves in small communities, small towns outside the bigger centers. Johannesburg and Kimberley and Cape Town weren't even in existence in the 1850s, 1860s. Your surprised face. Um, that's okay. Um, and so people established themselves in these small towns. And the first thing they did was they established a community, a shul, a cemetery, a minion. And so there were hundreds of Jewish communities spread around South Africa. Um, then with time, what happened was is the economies grew um in Johannesburg with the discovery of gold and in Kimberley in the early 1900s, late 1800s with the discovery of diamonds. And so Jews started to move to the bigger centers. Uh, With time, the numbers of people in these small communities diminished and um, they became almost defunct, which means that they don't exist any longer or they're small in numbers. Uh, 70 years ago, in 1949, Chief Rabbi Louis Rabinovitz um, saw the importance of establishing a country communities department and a, and a rabbi that would travel to these small communities because they couldn't uh, afford uh, their own rabbi or reverend at the time. So I'm now the seventh rabbi doing this work for the last 26 years, and I've come towards the end of the life of the small communities And basically what we do now currently is that we are responsible for all Jews living in the small towns. So if you go to Petersburg, there was a big community once. There's now only, let's say, eight or ten Jews. I'm responsible for them, meaning if they want matzah on Pesach, if God forbid there's a funeral, if they want to meet me, if they've got a Jewish problem, they call on us. And that works right throughout South Africa as well as 11 African countries as well. And we'll get on to that just now. That sounds like such a fascinating job to be able to travel and see all the different Jewish communities. And then you can actually see how lucky you are to have so many so many Jews living around you in such a beautiful environment. 
Absolutely. South Africa is an absolutely magnificent country, and the people are amazing. And I think you mentioned earlier that you drove from Cape Town to Johannesburg recently. In the middle of nowhere, you found a sign that said Jewish Cemetery. Proper in the middle of nowhere. I didn't even know the name of the town it was. That's how in the middle of nowhere it was. And we followed it, and we saw the cemetery. It was and it was Jewish in good cemetery. condition. It was in good condition? I mean, I don't know what a good condition what? a cemetery can good, be in. Good answer, good answer. But um, so there's over 220 of those cemeteries spread across South Africa. Wow! In the towns where Jews lived, Jews lived in much, much more, much more bad English, uh, much many, much more towns than 220. But they didn't establish cemeteries in all the towns, but they they established in 220. And some, for example, in a town called Crockerline in the Free State, has only one grave. And then you can have uh, much larger cemeteries, like in Petersburg, is 300. Oatshorn has got uh, probably about 500, over 500, uh, etc. So it sounds like there are lots of communities in all different places around South Africa. Not so much active communities any longer. They were. But today you have a lot of, you still have small communities, like in Bloemfontein and Kimberley and around the coast and the Cape, etc. But today, but you still have a lot of people, individuals and small pockets of people. And in some towns, for example, Riversdale, there's one Jewish guy there. So One? Uh, one. Why doesn't he move? Uh, good question. Uh, he's happy there, and that's his life. And uh, so we, we administer to him as well. It's a big question. Uh, why don't people move out of the small communities? Um, they are comfortable in their environment. He's lived there most of his life. And... Um, for him to move to a bigger center, Cape Town, Johannesburg, it's a whole culture difference. It's, it's like going to a different country for them. Now, I don't know if you know anything about rugby, but he was the first Jewish referee in South Africa. His wow. His name, name is Max Bays. Yesterday was his birthday. Happy birthday. Absolutely. And he was the first Jewish referee in South Africa. And he still lives in, in, in Riversdale. Wow, that's quite a thing, hey? That's quite cool to yeah. be the first, first referee of rugby. Jewish referee. Jewish ref. Oh, the first Jewish referee. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes way more sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, you you mentioned that there there are people living in, well, all these little like pockets of people living all over South Africa. So, when when do you decide when to go to them? Do they call you, or if they haven't called you for a long time, would you just go to them? Okay, so there's two there's two uh, ideas, two aspects. The one is that. We respond immediately if there's a crisis, God forbid, or if there's a funeral, God forbid. Uh, then we immediately respond, and, and if I'm not available to go out, then we send somebody else. Otherwise, I have a route planned for the year. I can't always keep it because things come up in the middle that I have to break it. But I try and get around to everybody once a year. Um, but we do have regular contact with emails with them and Facebook. I'm very active on Facebook. Uh, pace of time, we send them matzah and grape juice, etc. We try and send out uh, Jewish newsletters, Jewish magazines to them periodically, just so they're kept in the loop and they feel Jewish and that they enjoy what we enjoy in the bigger centers. Because they are Jewish, and <clears throat> every Jewish person is very important. Absolutely. And they should know how important Judaism is. Absolutely. So can you tell me why you chose this career of going to people and traveling very often, Okay, so my background is as follows, that at age 14, I went. I was at a school called Yeshiva College, and they used to send out high school boys to conduct services in the small centers. 
and I was asked to go with some friends to Messina, which is the town on the on the uh, Zimbabwe border. And I just grew to love country people. Country people are amazing people, lovely, warm, kind, um, much more in touch with reality, not so much the fast pace of Johannesburg, etc. And I enjoyed the travel, and I enjoyed the country. And so from age 14, I've been traveling around, not officially, but I, I helped conduct services in, in Messina for many years. And then after that, um, when I was in Yeshiva, I worked with a program where we used to send uh, Yeshiva Bochum out into the country, and I used to go as well. And uh, as I said, I have a love for uh, for travel, first of all. Um, I have a love of South Africa and Africa. The country is just, and the continent is absolutely magnificent. The people um, outside the big centers are much more in touch and much more, I don't like to use the word genuine or real, but much more down-to-earth, that's better English and, and more uh, sensitive, much more down-to-earth in their appreciation of um, life, people, Judaism, religion, and also their interaction. They would live among non-Jewish people, and their interaction with non-Jewish people is so fantastic. People in the bigger centers of Johannesburg, Cape Town, even wherever it is, anywhere in the world, the bigger centers People grow up not interacting and not knowing what it's like to live and to be brought up and and to grow up with non-Jewish people around you. Many Jewish kids, most Jewish kids in the country went to schools that, that were not Jewish schools. So you go to Maharsha and all your friends are from, or at least many of them are from, and they're religious and it's a from school. These are Jewish kids that went to school with Afrikaners um, that didn't speak English. Many of them went to school that didn't even wear shoes because they were farm kids. It's a whole different culture, but they have an incredible respect for life, an incredible sensitivity for reality. And that's so beautiful, one of the aspects that's so beautiful and attracts me to the small communities. Do you think that it's good to grow up with non-Jewish people? It's very healthy because just like in any situation, you can't live, you can't be brought up in a vacuum. You have to be brought up to be able to interact with other people. So it's, if it's in Johannesburg and it's from people, then there has to be interaction with non-from people. Uh, if it's uh, Jewish people in the small towns, there has, there has to be interaction. Uh, we need to understand that um, we don't live in an, on an island as Jewish people. And more importantly, it's important for the people that don't know who Jews are and what Jews are to interact with Jews. I had, a, I had twice uh, situations where uh, once was in a town called Victoria West. Um, you may have driven through it on the way back from Cape Town. But uh, I was there doing some work, and an Afrikaans lady asked me what I'm wearing on my head. And I explained to her it's a kippah, it's, it's a yamulka, and that's what Jews wear to remember and acknowledge the presence of God among us. And she said, are you Jewish? So I said, yes. She said, you know, I've never met a Jew before. She says, you know, I hear about Jews and about Israel on the TV and I see all negative media, etc. But I'm honored. She said, I'm a religious Christian and I know that you are the chosen people because the Bible teaches that we, the Jewish people, are the chosen people. And she says, I'm absolutely honored to be able to finally meet a Jew. And, and she actually said to me, can I touch you? She was so honored uh, and so in awe of, of actually meeting a Jew. And anyway, we got around that. But that's, that wasn't the issue. The issue was that we take it for granted that people know 
what Jews are and what they're about. But in actual fact, they don't. Because the average person today in the world, not only in South Africa, hasn't had interaction with a Jew. And that's why it's so important that we get involved with outreach programs in the wider community. It's not only because we're doing a mitzvah and we're doing chesed for the wider community, but more importantly, we're giving them the opportunity to be able to interact and to meet and to, and to deal with Jews. And that's why it's so important that we have to behave ourselves and be good and, and, and give a good, um, create a good impression of what Jews are about. That's a very touching story. I also <clears throat> remember that we once went on holiday and we were staying at this like BMB place and they, they said to us like, Oh my gosh, you're Jewish and wow. And we know you're the chosen, chosen people and it's so amazing to meet you or whatever, whatever. And it's really amazing to see people like that. It's very inspiring. Absolutely. Would you believe if I told you that in the small communities over a hundred years ago, 150 years ago, that a lot of the Afrikaans religious communities helped fund the building of shuls in the little towns because they wanted Jews in the town. Wow. Isn't that a fantastic? That's so special. That's amazing. So that, that's important. And that comes from a being true Jews, but more importantly, having a positive interaction with, with the wider community. Shows you what Akilish Hashem can do. Absolutely. If you show people what Jews are, then they can help you. 100%. And since you travel to all these small communities all over Africa, do you know how to speak different languages? <laughs> um, so, no. I, I can uh, greet people and say thank you and good morning in, in most of the African languages. But growing up in Johannesburg, so I speak Yiddish and Afrikaans and English and Hebrew. But uh, in most of the countries that I travel, I do learn the, the basic greeting, um, which is very, very important. And in every African country, you have different um, ways of greeting people. Sometimes it's to shake their hand. Sometimes it's to sh- hold both hands. Very important to show them the respect, to show that we acknowledge, first of all, that we respect their tradition and not just put out your hand and say, good morning, and shake my hand, because that's what the, the English do or the South Africans do. It's got nothing to do with that. It, it's got to do with coming in and showing them that you're sensitive to them. And it, there again, it creates a fantastic relationship um, with the, uh, the people you're interacting with. One of our teachers, like, I went to task this year, so we had new teachers, and she, she asked us how to say hello in Hebrew. So she could greet us in okay. Hebrew. It was very sweet. There you go, you see. I don't think she remembered in the end, but it's <laughs> the gold that counts. Anyways, it's been very interesting, and we'll have a quick break with the song, and we'll be right back. <laughs> You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 Hi FM. This is Hi Kids, 4 Kids, 5 Kids. My name is Buria Cat, and I'm 12 years old. So let's carry on with our questions. Very interesting. So... You were talking, you, 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 you told us a bit about what you do. You travel to all different communities. But can you tell us a bit about, like, did you grow up, like where you grew up and, yeah, okay. those kind of things. Okay. So I grew up at Yeshiva College. Um, and that's where I went to school. Was I, I actually started my schooling at a school called Bernard Patley, which you wouldn't know about. Uh, maybe your mom would know about it to that generation. But... Um, from there, we went. To, I went to Yeshiva College, and I grew up religious at Yeshiva College. Uh, I then studied in Yeshiva locally and internationally for a short while, and then I went into the army in South Africa, and I was a chaplain 
for two years, and I traveled the length and breadth of uh, South Africa and Namibia, where there was um, Jewish, uh, um, not Jewish, uh, army bases that had kosher kitchens. So what the South African government allowed, uh, what the board, Jewish Board of Deputies arranged with the previous government was that Jews should only be allowed to go to army bases where there's a Jewish, where there's a kosher kitchen. In other words, at least there would be Jewish soldiers together instead of just having random guys all um, located all over the all over the country. And then afterwards, I went. In, I was involved in business for a while, and then I got involved with this position, and here I am, 26 years later. Wow, 26 years is quite a while to be in this job. It's a long ride. Absolutely. Do you get bored? Never. Every single trip that I take, every visit that I undertake is like my first. Wow. And I often ask myself, how, how does that work? How is that happening? But that's what it is. And I find that the day that I get tired of it, uh, I, I can't do it any longer. It's a job um, that if you don't have motivation and you don't have the, 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 the life for it, the highest for it, you can't do it. Can't do it to its full extent, definitely not. Yeah. And, and, but absolutely, I never get, I never get, uh, tired. Uh, the traveling is, I'm finding getting a bit much now. I'm, I'm a lot older than I was 26 years ago, but interacting with the people, the challenges, the things we're involved in are just phenomenal. You know, we built a, um, Zambia. We took mention Zambia a few minutes ago. Zambia has had a, a relatively large Jewish community and now there are very few people left. But we built a – it's important that there should be a history and a commemoration of the once prominent Jewish community of Zambia. And so we've built a Jewish museum on the, at the Victoria Falls. So for your listeners, if they ever go to Livingston in Zambia, there is a Jewish museum called the Gateway Jewish Museum, and it depicts the history of Zambian Jewry. And it's now become part of the syllabus – of the high school in Livingston. Every high school student in grade, I think it's seven or eight, or I'm not sure, I don't, I'm not sure anymore, grade or, or whatever it's called nowadays, but um, part of their syllabus is the Jewish education and the Jewish life of Zambia. And they have to visit the museum and then they do a, 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 an essay on it afterwards. Wow, that's so nice. Very, very nice. To see something that you, that you did. To be such a thing, and that it contributes to to, and it, it brings the knowledge to these students that, as I said before, have only heard about Jews. Maybe they've never even heard about a Jew, heard about Jews, you know, unless they watch TV or they uh, go to church or whatever it is. Why would they hear about a Jew? But here, all of a sudden, they go in and they and they and they uh, discover the the wonderful positive role that Jews made in the establishment of Zambia, etc. You know, Woolworths. Yeah. Belongs to a family called Sussman. They founded it, the Sussman family. You wouldn't know them, but they began their business in Livingston on the Zambezi River. Really? Where the Victoria Falls is. So the first Woolworths was in Livingston. Well, they didn't start it there, but the family started their empire of shops in Livingston. That's amazing. Yeah, so there you go. That's nice general knowledge. Absolutely. So if you're going to the Vic Falls, which is a very nice place to go, Mm -hmm. I've never been there, but I've seen pictures, you must definitely go see this museum. Is it like right by the actual waterfall? It's near. It's in the town of Livingston, but that's on the that's on the uh, Zambezi River. Absolutely. Sounds very interesting. 
to like see the history of things. Absolutely. It's very nice to to I love history. I don't like learning for history because there's so many facts to learn. <laughs> but I love I love the, the visuals. learning. I love yeah. The, I love the actual lessons of history. Very good. Absolutely. And can you do you have any stories for our listeners about your travels? I have stories. I'm just trying to think what stories uh, to to tell you. Um, uh, you must have a lot from all the yeah, different places that you've traveled. Absolutely, not Which one would you choose? Which <laughs> you know, a, a funny story. There's a town called Kirkwood in the Eastern Cape near Port Elizabeth, and the the shul had a very beautiful um, stained glass window over the front door with a Magen David in it. And when the community closed, they sold the shul to the local Afrikaans doctor. And he made it into his theater, into his surgery. And when the Kaplan Museum in Cape Town was being established, they wanted to buy that glass uh, window of the Magen David because it was just so beautiful. And and so they asked me to on my next trip to go and see this Afrikaans doctor. So I went to see him. I made an appointment and I went to see him. And, I, and eventually I said to him in the meeting, listen, you know, that glass uh, Magen David, that star above your door is, is very meaningful to us as the Jewish people. And we'd like to buy it and we'll replace it with whatever you want. And he became very aggressive. And I said to him, what, what's, you know, like, what, what are you going on about? And he said, no, no, that's my lucky star, he said. He said, as long as that's there, people in the town are going to get sick and I'm going to make money. So that uh, was a funny, uh, tongue-in-cheek funny story of, uh, of an Afrikaans man who believed that the Magen David was... Uh, his lucky star. His lucky star. Wow. Um, there, there's hundreds of stories I could tell. I'm, I'm just, uh, you caught me. I'm having a blank moment. But the, the, the most important aspect of having the Jewish people in the town is that the local people, you know, in Otsorn, for example, Otsorn in 1906 had 600 Jewish families, which was huge, of which most were religious. So what we see in Johannesburg today with uh, capotes or beards or jackets and black, black hats, there were hundreds of them in Otsun. And in Otsun on first day Rosh Hashanah, because most of the Jews used to run either the ostrich industry or the shops, the, the general dealers, the town basically came to a standstill. And what used to happen was is that when in, in after, first, after Shul on the first day, the locals in the town used to line the street of the main road out of the sh- where the shuls were to where people lived, and they used to greet the Jews as they were leaving shul. And the Jews in, 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 in exchange would bless them and say thank you and could you enter for Chaksameach, whatever it was. But it was so important for them to, A, acknowledge the Jews of the town, but more importantly, it was so important for them to be acknowledged by the Jews. And that just shows a sensitivity of, of, of religion, of what Judaism is about. And it shows the respect that these Jewish people established and, and created in, in the town of Otsun. And um, a historic question, uh, fact, you may know it, you may not know it. You know that in the 19, 1910, 1912, the ladies' hats had a lot of ostrich feathers in them. And it was a huge industry, the ostrich industry. And then all of a sudden it collapsed. Now, do you know why the ostrich industry collapsed? I have absolutely no idea. Okay, I'm going to tell you. Because cars were invented. And they weren't any longer going by horse and cart like they used to go around. 
And now, when the lady, and now when the lady got into the car, her hat was too tall for the roof of the car. So it wasn't fashionable anymore. So she oh, couldn't wow. wear a hat. That's so, so interesting. Yeah. So that was the end of the ostrich industry. Just take your hat off. Yeah, yeah. We love it that much, it will still be a fashion. There, there you go, there you go. Um, yeah, so as I say, in a town called Grafrenet, <laughs> which has got the third oldest Jewish cemetery, the th- third oldest Jewish burial, there's a monument. Um, as you come into town, honoring the, the smos, the Jewish smos. Now, what happened was, uh, smos is a peddler. What happened was, is Jews came to South Africa, as I explained to you. Many came with, with almost nothing. Now, try and imagine, they came here, they came from Eastern Europe. We know that our parents and grandparents came from Eastern Europe, from Russia, from England, etc. So, first of all, they weren't used to the climate of South Africa, the heat. Um, they didn't know. Many of them had never seen a black person before. So they came off the ships, and there were black people. But what did they do? They had this, which every Jew has, this incredible desire and instinct to survive. And that's why you see Jewish history. We, we are small in numbers, and we persecuted, but we've survived. Because it's the Jewish nature to survive. So they came to South Africa, and some of them had a bit of money, etc., but they didn't have the language. They spoke Yiddish or Russian. And what was in South Africa? Afrikaans or some of the African languages, or even English, some of the. And they established themselves. Um, so what they did was they traveled around, first of all. So they went to a town, and they bought some, some goods, buttons, uh, zips, uh, tins, pots, pans, whatever they needed. There weren't the roads that we have today. There was just sand roads and over through hills, etc. And they get a horse and a cart, and they go from town to town, from farm to farm. And that's called a peddler. But in Afrikaans, it's called a smos. And many of them were Jews. And they went from town to town, and eventually they, they came to towns, and they thought, okay, you know what, here's an opportunity. I can set myself up in this town and, and uh, open a little business, and then they would settle down, and they'd bring their family from overseas or wherever they were, and, and that's how they built the communities. And in, and, and in those days, don't forget, there was no emails, there was no SMSs, no faxes, no nothing. So these smos used to carry news from town to town. So they'd go from one little town, and they'd go to the next one. they say, oh, did you hear that Chaim Yankel got married to Sora Rochel, and they had a baby, and, and now they're looking for a moil. There were no moilim around, that you couldn't just phone a moil. In those days, to get a telephone call across was a... Was a and so as you drive into Hrafrenet... There is a monument honoring the Smos, and it's very, very popular, and it's on their um, historic website, etc., commemorating that not only did these people trade and, and uh, make a living out of what they were doing, they actually traveled and spread the news from one community to the next. Did you hear the other town, somebody had a bar mitzvah, or they're building a shul, because there was no interaction, though. you know, we, we need to understand, remember that. So the Jews have, have and have, have and have, had and have, sorry, <laughs> uh, the ingrown desire to survive. And they came to South Africa, and as I say, and as we know, not all of them, but some of them did very, very well in, beside not only business, in everything, in education, in chinuch, in, in, in uh, Torah schools, etc. Anyway, that's the Jewish nature, to survive and to succeed. And uh, now with where we are at, etc., 
in the world with the rise of or beginning of slight anti-Semitism or a bit of anti-Semitism, it depends which aspect you look at, it's so important for us and for you in this next generation, because you are our next generation, to understand that certain things you can't compromise on, but most importantly to remember that whatever anybody says and whatever anybody tries to drum into your head about negativity about Jews, it's not true in the sense that a Jew has to survive. And that's our role. But we have to survive as good people, and we have to survive as people that show a positive uh, influence that, that, uh, to, the, to the world. And that's so important for the next generation. That's very important. We're strong. We survivors. Absolutely. We can do this. Absolutely. We're awesome. That's it. At least some, yeah, never mind. <laughs> I know I'm awesome, and most of you, I mean, yeah, you guys are. Even though I don't know who you are. That, does, that doesn't mean anything. The mere fact that they're listening to Chai FM, that they show an interest in a Jewish radio station, right, is essential, and that's, that's awesome. That is awesome. It's been so interesting to learn about everything that you do and how you travel to all the different communities. It's really it's an amazing job to be able to do, and I hope that you never get bored of it. Thank you very much. And keep on being able to inspire people. Thank you. Thank you so much to my guest, Rabbi Zilberhaft, for coming on my show. I really enjoy learning about more about your more about your job. It sounds really amazing. And thank you to my producer Mandy and DJ Flo for pushing the big red buttons. Join us tomorrow for another Chai Kids show, only on 101.9 Chai FM.